Listeners. Hello. I'm Andrew. I'm Rachel. We're joined here today by uh, Gunnar Harbison. Uh, bass singer. Uh, Gunnar Bass singer. Yeah, that's all right. Sorry. That's all right. We'll, we'll fix it in, uh, in post. <laughs> cool. Um, and this is S Town. No, it's not. What is it? <laughs> armchair Apocrypha. That's right. This is the podcast where armchair experts tell possibly true stories. Um, as I already mentioned, we're here. Uh, with Gunner, he is a musician who goes by the stage name Dub Pevo. Um, yeah, and uh, it's actually pronounced Dub Pivo, but the, the spelling is kind of uh, kind of misleading. Okay. Um, so I've got a few questions. We're just going to do a quick interview before we get into the episode. Nice. Um, you're originally from Fayetteville, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yep, that is correct. How do you get to uh, Louisville? Well. Um, Whenever I was in Fayetteville, I was I was applying for graduate schools. Yeah, and, um, and I applied to for graduate school here at the University of Louisville, and um, yeah, I got accepted in, got the GA ship and everything. So that's that's what brought me here. So Perfect. I'm very new resident. I've been here since uh, July, I believe. Oh wow! Nice. Mm-hmm. How are you liking the uh, How are you liking the program? Um, I, I love it. It's it's really cool. It's um I'm in the electronic music program. And um, so it's you know it's very right up my alley, and uh, a lot of the TA work is really cool. Like it's uh focused around like audio engineering, recording, you know, things like that. That sounds like a lot of fun. It does. It's, it's, it, is, it is a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, so when I think of dub, I think of, like, Ike Owens and uh, the Long Beach Dub All-Stars, like these people who didn't have instruments, and so they would just sample other musicians and, like, put it together into a new song. How did you come up with the name uh, Dub Pivu? Um, yeah, so it's it's kind of dates back... Uh, some years I've, I've for a long time I wanted to put together this this performance ensemble yeah and I wanted to just call it Pivo 
and and the spelling was different then too the spelling was just p-i-v-o and that name just like sat with me for a long time and um you know i was uh i was living with some uh some friends of mine in fayetteville and i've been bouncing this name around and what to do with this exactly and uh so one of my friends suggested he was like dude you should put dub in front of it i think it would look <laughs> and sound really cool yeah. and i was like uh maybe i don't know and then we talked about it some more and uh i remember he said hold on it's gotta look good on paper let's sketch it out <laughs> and um and yeah, we just and he helped me work with that for a minute. And I was like, yeah, you know, uh, I like this. This is cool. Nice, perfect. Uh, so I've been listening to your self-titled EP. It's out on Bandcamp right now. <laughs> it's only three songs, but they're all really good. Thank you. Um, it start the first song starts out with about a minute and a half of ambience, and I always find that really interesting and really like a bold move. Uh, even when like studio albums do that, how as an independent artist did you decide to make that? the beginning sounds that like most people are going to hear you for mm-hmm. yeah um it's it, it, it was a decision i had to sit and think about for a minute because i realized you know whenever someone just clicks to listen to this this is the first thing they're going to get like yeah. you know a minute minute and a half two minutes of ambience you know and and not not uh every listener is going to be into that from the get-go um so that's um uh, you know i guess i had to sit down and think about that for a while and uh at the end of the day, what I decided to do was to make the make the ending have like that sort of same ambient feel. Yeah. And um, and the person that recorded me, we decided to do like a, a cyclic audio nice. type of thing, so that way it it can help it become a more of a unique experience. Like if if you can um, if you can stick with it from the beginning, you know, I guess I'm trying to like filter out the dedicated listeners for that. Right. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that was kind of my headspace with doing that in the beginning, and I guess also that beginning that beginning part um, is is uh, really crucial to yeah. that song. Like that song's kind of like I think it's the longer song on the EP, and uh, whenever I perform that live, it it always has that uh, ambient drone section in the beginning. Nice, mm-hmm. cool. Uh, so I'm going to skip ahead another question because you you kind of touched on this. Uh, the end of the record, the last song, it. Uh, kind of you have that droney ambient section um, right at the end it kind of sounds like uh, a forest during a rainstorm uh, and then it just abruptly cuts out but you're saying that it like kind of cycles into the first song again Um, did you plan to have it uh, cyclical like that did you plan to have that kind of balance or was it more of a happy accident Um, it was more of a happy accident and then we uh, decided, hey, we could make this into like a cyclic type of audio thing. Yeah. And um, I believe if you listen to the, uh, oh, I, th- I think if you, I think there might be like a, a full uh, album wave file on Bandcamp or Spotify or something. Yeah. I think if you listen to that all, it should anyways, like as soon as it ends, like it should pick up where that sample starts at in the, in the beginning. Nice. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it was, it was total, it was a total happy accident. It's really cool. Thank you. Uh, my favorite song on the EP is the second one, and it is um, "It's in the Water," mm-hmm. um, and it has it's got a really cool uh, atmosphere to it. Like uh, you can kind of hear the microphone hiss, and uh, it all of the uh, instruments, all of the music. It sounds very uh, like you're listening to it, kind of in a chamber. Mm-hmm. It's very, very atmospheric. Uh, did you do your own production, or did you have friends help you with that? Um, I, had, I had friends help me with that. There's a, a guy that I recorded with, and uh, 
a town in Arkansas uh, called Paragold, Arkansas. Okay. And it's kind of uh, on the opposite end of the state from Fayetteville, but that's close to where I lived before. And um, yeah, we uh, we kind of conceived that sound together. Cool. It's uh, it was just an idea I had. Like I was like, hey, I want it to sound like specifically like this, and yeah, so it's, that's how we put that together. Yeah. That's really cool. Thank you. Uh, so your first um, long play or your first LP is going to be released on the Louisville label uh, Oral Gami Sounds. Mm-hmm. You also published Doctor Girlfriend and Karaoke Club. Um, can you tell us anything about the LP? Um, yeah. So the uh, the LP is going to be called Sleep Kick. Nice. And um, I actually met with uh, Matt from Oral Gami yesterday. Nice. And I, I believe we're planning on it being rela- um, released in February. Okay. And uh, yeah, this this album is going to be. Uh, is going to be an extension of the EP. Basically, it's nice. kind of it's more or less like the finished product on it. Um, one interesting thing about the album is side A is going to be uh, is going to contain more uh, conventional type of uh, songs, kind yeah. of you know standard like three to four or five minute long songs, and then side B is actually going to have really long form ambient arrangements of songs on side A. That's perfect. So yeah. uh, so on side A, I have uh, for example, um, I'm doing a, a redo of "It's in the Water." Yeah. Um, it's like a much slower version of it on, and that's yeah. going to be on side A. And then side B is, uh, I guess this, this song's gone through like three, uh, three versions now. The side B is going to be like this really long, like uh, fifteen minute long, just drone version of it. You're, yeah. you're going to hear like a bunch of like vocal samples from that song and a, a bunch of stuff like that. Nice, awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's it been like working with Arogami? Um, it's been really good. It's it's been really relaxed and. Uh, I think it's like a really good deal to to have, especially being in my situation where I'm in grad school. And yeah. I'm, I'm really busy all the time because uh, you know they're really cool, with like letting you like own the rights to your music and stuff. And it's it's just very relaxed. Like, hey, you know, just get this stuff to us whenever you can. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and they're just like really good to collaborate with. They're really open to pretty much any any ideas I've had so far. They're like, yeah, this sounds cool. Let's let's roll with it. That sounds like really relaxed and mm-hmm. very very. Uh, uh, easygoing relationship. Yeah, yeah I've, I've really enjoyed working with them so far. Good. Uh, you sent us this, uh, the new song "Steal Like Satin" earlier, mm-hmm. and uh, you talked a little bit about this, but it sounds like an evolution of stuff from the EP. It's the same core, but it's a lot more focused. And mm-hmm. it sounds like you like had it uh, in your head, and then were able to get it out there easier than on the ep mm-hmm. um how would you describe this kind of evolution or that's actually a really good way to describe that type of sound because i think that's exactly what i was trying to go for yeah. because the ep was and of course i'm still experimenting with this but the ep was very much so an experiment uh, an experiment with combining like uh ambient music noise music and like singer songwriter type of dream popish type of stuff yeah and so i just wanted to keep funneling in on that sound so i I think steel like satin is uh, very much so a more focused version of that and that's definitely the direction i want to keep taking i I think it would be nice to try to figure out uh clever ways to insert like drone moments or like noise like keep them really slow like really uh or not really slow really soft in the background yeah things like that cool um, last thing, uh, one of the things that we like to do here at Absinthe Activism Arts is we like to, uh, get people plugged into activism spaces. Um, you haven't been in Louisville very long, but, uh, are there any organizations that 
you're excited like for the work that they're doing or that you would like to work with or mm -hmm. that you are working with anything like that um, i'm not sure if i'm really familiar with a lot of uh, spaces like that happening just yet mm -hmm. um i have found one place and i don't know if it's a space for that but it's called open community art center i yeah. believe um i don't know if it falls into that category or not um but, i mean i've i've played one show there and i've really enjoyed working with them nice and I'm, yeah I'm, I'm totally interested in uh, getting plugged into whatever around here perfect cool. awesome mm -hmm. Uh, you have some tour dates coming up for uh, uh, Christmas. Yeah, um, so I've got I've got some shows booked around here in uh, Louisville, and uh, some show in a show uh, a really interesting show booked in uh, in Indianapolis. Yeah, um, it's a, yeah it's a venue I found uh, called Healer. I think is what. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, they do this really interesting thing on Sundays. They do uh, like Sunday afternoon ambient shows. Nice. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's like that's gonna be really cool and. Yeah, um, I've got a sh I've got a show coming up here really soon at uh, Surface Noise Records on yeah. December the fifth. Yeah, um, I'm really excited about that. It looks really cool. We um, really love Surface Noise a lot. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks really nice. I went in there the other day to check it out, and um, the, there was like a bunch of tables with wheels, and I was like, yeah, I just want to get a feel for the space. He was like, oh yeah, you know, we just like wheel these tables around, like just turn it to like a little performance space, and it uh, yeah, it looks like a pretty nice place. Nice, awesome. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, do you want to get into today's episode? I do. Perfect. Uh, have you listened to a lot of our episodes? I, I have not. So uh, what we're going to do is we're each, we've both token, uh, chosen one story that we're going to tell the other person that they may not know about. And it can't be anything that we've studied or anything that uh, we've worked in. So like I can't do higher education because I work in higher education. Can't do like uh, literature because I studied literature. Uh, Rachel can't do... Um, like public policy because she studied public policy and uh, she can't do coffee because she works in coffee. Mm. Um, although I would be very interested to hear some of your coffee stories sometime. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I am um, today going to be talking about the, uh, the activist Judy Berry. Have you ever heard of her? I have not. Uh, so uh, Judy Berry, she was a um, left-wing activist with earth first um, oh. out in Oakland, California. Uh, she was born and raised in Silver Spring, Maryland, and she was the daughter of a mathematician and a diamond setter. Uh, her parents were both involved in left-wing politics. Uh, they were in the civil rights movement, and they opposed Vietnam War. Um, pretty standard stuff. <laughs> uh, they moved to Northern California, um, and she, uh, she got involved with um, the anti-war uh, movement out there. Um, and she started working as a mail handler and organized a wildcat strike uh, in the United States Postal Service. Um, she met her first husband, Mike Sweeney, at a labor organizers conference. Uh, they were both radicals. Um, she identified as an anarchist. He has a Maoist, um, which is not a, made in heaven. not a coupling I would recommend. <laughs> Um, they had two daughters, Lisa and Jessica. Uh, I'm not going to go through her whole career cause she did a lot of stuff and you should definitely look into her if you're interested. Yeah. Um, but she, uh, she helped a sawmill victim, uh, an accident victim. Uh, she helped get use of, uh, get rid of the use of junk bonds. Um, she started organizing with the industrial workers of the world. Uh, and, um, 
she once claimed that she had um she'd brought femininity to earth first because it was started by men for men and she was kind of like the the female face of it Mm -hmm. um she did a lot of stuff over her lifetime um and then in 1990 there was a bomb explosion as there often are in my stories Mm -hmm. um Sorry. That's fine. Uh, so in 1990, she was in Oakland, California. Um, she was with her uh, her second husband, Daryl Cherney, um, in a car, and a pipe bomb that had been placed under the seat of the car exploded, and she was severely injured in the blast. Um, the FBI showed up almost immediately as if they had been waiting <laughs> for a bomb to go off. Um, no, they were just in the right place at the right time. Maybe. Oh, surely. <laughs> Come on. Um, they arrested her and held her as a suspect, oh. claiming that she had made the bomb and had been transporting it when it went off uh, prematurely. And they mm. tried to charge her for eco-terrorism. Really? Damn. Interesting. Uh, the... Um, the suit was uh, eventually dropped because they didn't have enough evidence for that. Um, and... Uh, Daryl Cherney uh, would write a song later that year called Who Bombed um, Judy Berry. And it's a good song. You should look it up. It's on YouTube for free. Um, so there are some theories. Do they have the answer in the song? <laughs> they, they do not have the answer in the song. Uh, there are some theories. Uh, a few days after the bombing, uh, the Santa Rosa Press Democrat received a letter claiming responsibility for placing a bomb in Berry's car. Uh, it was written in an ornate biblical style with heavily misogynistic language, and it was signed the Lord's Avenger. The what Avenger? The Lord's Avenger. Okay. <laughs> huh. Alrighty. Uh, so that's one person who may have set the bomb. Uh, some people have thought that Daryl Turney, the guy who wrote the song, and her second husband may have set the bomb, and it had gone off prematurely. Um, I don't really hold much stock in this, but their relationship was a apparently pretty rocky at that point yeah but would you bomb your sp- you know i would Never mind. <laughs> i would not bomb my spouse okay, good <laughs> <you> <laughs> uh, just make would. sure you check your seat when you get in the car <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> use it there first <laughs> um apparently at the time he was a little bit uh feeling a little bit emasculated because she had come up in earth first and the iww faster than he had um but i don't really buy that mm-hmm. he would bomb himself as well because he was also in the car at the time um a lot of people have suspected that the fbi themselves may have uh set the bomb uh they apparently received a tip that day that there was a bomb in the car that was being transported um by judy berry in uh northern california and they showed up to the scene almost immediately but um, there's not very much evidence to support this one. Uh, it's one of those things where it's like, this makes a lot of sense, but there's you no, don't know for sure. Yeah. There's no evidence for it. And then, uh, another theory is that it was her first husband. Um, in the documentary who bombed Judy Berry, uh, people have speculated that he might have said it because he was jealous of Barry and Cherney. Um, she spent the rest of her life writing and doing public service, um, and then she died in, of uh, breast cancer in 1997. Uh, 
Uh, a memorial service in her honor was attended by an estimated 1,000 people. Uh, that's a respectable amount. <laughs> that's a it's lot really of people. It's really huge. Yeah. Yes. Uh, she has a lot of books out um, that you can look into, and I've already mentioned the documentary Who Bombed Judy Berry and the song Who Bombed Judy Berry, um, both of which are up on YouTube. I was going to ask, can we watch that? We absolutely can, yeah. Um, and that was the life and times of uh, activist Judy Berry. Mm. To Judy. To Judy. I drink my Gary. To Judy. <laughs> Cheers. I'm trying to hydrate because I've had this coffee today. <laughs> and then all I had was not water last night coffee is good all right so mine might be a little bit longer okay <laughs> but i go through these really fast um so i didn't know what to talk about and i looked over down there and that picture inspired me to talk about the marx brothers <laughs> <laughs> uh for those of you who can't see oh, yeah. she has a uh, uh is that a kings of comedy it's like yeah all these little skits of comedies back in the day or the um, Kings of Comedy uh, Collector's Edition sitting over on the shelf. Yes. Are you familiar? How familiar are you with the Marx Brothers? Uh, I'm not very familiar. Okay, great. Because <laughs> they have like, each one has their own autobiographies and then even their children did autobiographies. So there's actually so much out there. It's saturated. But I just went off mostly Wikipedia and other couple sites just to give a like small glimpse into their lives. So a first like nice two-sentence recap is the Marx Brothers were an American family comedy act that was successful in vaudeville on Broadway and then in motion pictures dating from 1905 to 1949. Five of the Marx Brothers 13 feature films were actually selected by American AFI's American Film Institutes as among the top 100 comedy films of all time which is saying all because there's a lot of good comedies out there. Yeah. The group I'll come back to this in like two minutes, but the group is almost universally known today by their stage names, not their birth names. So you have Chico, Harpo, Groucho, Gummo, and Zeppo, which is just hilarious. Which one was Carl? Um, I will tell you in a minute. <laughs> okay. There's not one named Carl. I'm talking about Carl Marx. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> overhead. He went real overhead. I'm like focused now. <laughs> um, there was a sixth brother, um... Their firstborn, which name was Manfred, Manny, but he died at actually seven months. And Zeppo was given that middle name, Manfred, in his memory. And I'll get back to that in a minute, too. So the Marx Brothers were born in New York City, like I feel like most people were in the late 1800s. Yeah. Um, they were the sons of Jewish immigrants from Germany and France, and they lived in the poor Yorkville section of New York's Upper East Side. Um... So, here are their actual names. Chico's actual name was Leonard. <laughs> Harpo was Adolf, um, but then later changed to Arthur in 1911. I think we know why. Probably a good move. Um, I mean, that was a very, <laughs> very common name. Yeah. Uh, Groucho was Julius. Gummo was Milton. And Zeppo was Herbert, which Herbert. I want to bring that name back so bad. <laughs> Herbert I Marks. I name Herbert. Herbert. Yes. Um, so, talking about the firstborn son that died in infancy, there's actually a family lore about whether if it was true or not. Um, even some members of the Marx family wondered if it was just a pure myth. Um, but it says he can be verified that there is a death certificate that reveals that he died at age seven months on July 17th, 1886. Um, probably from the flu. Um, doo -doo -doo. Anyways, back to... The Marx Brothers and kind of how they got their start. So their mother, 
Mini Marks, which is a great name. Mini Marks. <laughs> yeah, Mini Marks. Love alliterative, alliterative yes. names. Um, came marks. from a family of performers herself. <laughs> so her mother was a yodeling harpist. Wow. Hey. Let's bring that back, too. <laughs> and her father was a ventriloquist. Um, and they both were, like, fun fair entertainers, which I'm guessing just means that they performed at fairs. <laughs> um, so around 1880, the family immigrated to New York City, where Minnie met and married Sam, the father, in 1884. She, later in life, she acted as the brother's manager using the name Minnie Palmer so that agents did not realize that she was also their mother. Like, who wants to say their mother is their agent? Right. Um, all the brothers confirmed that Minnie Marks had been the head of the family of, and the driving force into getting the troop launched. The only person who could keep them in order, she was said to be a hard bargainer with theater management. Which, of course... Um, so a little bit about them. Gummo and Zeppo both became successful businessmen. So as a group together collectively, they were together for a little bit, but they kind of disbanded after a while. Um, Gummo gained success through his agency ex- activities and a raincoat business, which I loved hearing that. A raincoat business. Yes. Um, and Zeppo became a multimillionaire through his engineering business. He really helped. Um, crap, I looked it up. I don't think I wrote it down on here. Some things that he helped create and invent, which was kind of interesting. Do you remember? Oh, okay. Um, so Harpo was particularly talented at learning to play an estimated six different instruments throughout his career. He became dedicated a dedicated harpist, which gave him his nickname, Harpo. Mm-hmm. Um, Chico was an excellent pianist, and Groucho was a guitarist and a singer. <laughs> yep. And Zeppo was the singer of the group. Grouchy guitarist. Mm-hmm. Grouchy, yeah. <laughs> so this is how they got their comedy start, because they were actually like a singing group. Um, so one e- the theory goes, the, that everyone talks about, is one evening in 1912, a performance at the Opera House, it says, how would you pronounce that? Nacogdoches. Nacogdoches, Texas. Nacogdoches. Was interrupted by shouts from outside about a runaway mule, as that always happens when you're watching a show. Yeah. The audience hurried out to see what was happening. Groucho was angered by the interruption, and when the audience returned, he made snide comments at their expense, including... Nacogdoches. It's full of roaches, and the jackass is the flower of tax ass. (laughs) Um, Instead of becoming angry, the audience actually laughed at this. So the family then realized that it had potential as a comedic troupe. Um... And then, of course, in one of their autobiographies, they say that it actually happened in Oklahoma, and someone else said it happened in San Antonio, or Marshall, Texas, but all the other sites I looked at also said it was just in Texas somewhere. Okay. So, hashtag armchair apocrypha. Yeah. The act slowly evolved from singing with comedy to comedy with music, so they kind of, like, transformed. Um, their sketch, Fun in High School, featured Groucho as a German-accented teacher presiding over a classroom that included students Harpo, Gummo, and Chico, um, and just playing off of that, basically. Um, in 1915, 14-year-old Zeppo joined his four brothers for what is to believe the only time that all five Marx Brothers appeared together on stage. Um, because then Gummo left to serve in World War One, reasoning that anything is better than being an actor. <laughs> I had a grocery store manager from Nacogdoches, Texas, so yeah. I'm going oh, really? I'm, I'm, I'm to have to reach out to her again <laughs> now and be like, hey, I heard this really wild story. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Zeppo replaced him in their final vaudeville years and then the jump to Broadway and then to Paramount Films, where we, most, we recognize them most. Um, 
During this time, Groucho began his trademark grease paint mustache to use and, and also a stooped walk. Harpo stopped speaking on stage and began to wear a red fright wig and carrying a taxi cab horn. Okay. Hmm. Chico spoke with a fake Italian accent, developed offstage to deal with neighborhood toes. Tufts. Tufts, yeah. While Zeppo adopted the role of the romantic um, straight man. Do-do-do. So the onstage personalities of Groucho, Chico, and Harpo were said to have been based on their actual traits of like how they were in real life. Zeppo, on the other hand, was considered the actually the funniest brother offstage despite his straight man roles that he played um, on stage or on film. Um, he was the youngest and had grown up watching his brother so he could fill in for any of them whenever they were sick or whatnot. So he was basically the, what's it called when you're the backup in theater? The stand-in? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll go with that. First chair, second chair? I think that has to do with music, but it yeah. It does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do-do-do. So by the 1920s, the Marx Brothers had become one of America's favorite theatrical acts with their sharp and bizarre sense of humor. They satirized high society and human hypocrisy, and they became famous for their improvised, improvis- improvisational comedy and free- freeform scenarios. A famous early instance was when Harpo arranged to chase a fleeing chorus girl across the stage during the middle of a Groucho monologue to see if it would throw him off. However, to the audience's delight, Groucho merely reacted by commenting, first time I ever saw a taxi hail a passenger. Um, okay, so here's where we're going to get into how they got their stage names, which okay. is kind of interesting. Um, but of course, like ever, like I said, there's so so many books written about them mm-hmm. that there are so many different stories. So okay. the reason behind Chico and Harpo's stage names are undisputed, and Gummo's is fairly well established. Um, Groucho's and Zeppo's are far less clear, and we'll get into that. Um, as we, as I already said, Harpo became Harpo because he was really good at the harp. Right. <laughs> um, and Leonard became Chico because he was in the. Um, because he was in the slang of the period, a chicken chaser, which means uh, chicks was a period slang for women. Oh so. my god! So he was a, a fuck boy. Yeah, is what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep, pretty much. Okay. So, in his autobiography, Harpo explained that Milton became gumbo or gummo because he. Uh, he crept about the theater like a gumshoe detective. Okay. Other sources reported that Gummo was the family's hypochondriac, having been the sickliest of brothers in childhood, and therefore wore rubber overshoes called gumshoes in all kinds of weather. Still, others reported that Milton was the troupe's best dancer, and dance shoes tended to have rubber soles. Mm-hmm. Um, Groucho stated that the source of the name was Gummo wearing galoshes. Whatever the details, the name relates to rubber soled shoes. Okay. Um, hmm. And the reason that Julius was named Groucho is perhaps the most disputed. There are three explanations. One was he had a very bad temperament. Um, another one was because he was considered a grouch bag. A grouch bag was a small drawstring bag worn around the neck in which a traveler could keep money and other valuables so that it would be very difficult for anyone to steal them. Most of his friends and associates say that he was extremely stingy, especially after losing all his money in the 1929 stock market crash. That, um, that would make you worry about your money yeah <laughs> and then Groucho's explanation himself was that he insisted that he was named for a character in the comic strip Nako the Monk which okay. inspired the craze for nicknames ending in O in fact there was a character in that strip named Groucho however he's the only Marx or Marx person saying this um apparently he's all, he was also like a 
pretty abusive, and all his wives became alcoholics. Oh. So we'll talk about that on another day, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Marx Brothers stage shows became popular just as motion pictures were becoming talkies. Mm -hmm. um, and they signed a contract with Paramount Pictures to actually start making films in New York City's Astoria section. Um, their last, so they made, I think, five with Paramount. So their last Paramount film, Duck Soup, which, ever, which is probably the one they're most famous for, and probably, I think, the highest one on the list with the top comedies, um, was directed by this very famous director at the time, Leo McCary. Um, and, it, it, yeah, it's the highest rated of, of the Marx Brothers films on the AFI's 100 movies of 100 years, something like that. Um, it did not do well financially, but it wasn't like a box office bomb. It did just fine. Okay. Um, do do do. I'll get back to this in a minute, but the film sparked a dispute between the Marxes and the village, um, Fredonian of and the village of Fredonia, New York. So in the movie, there's a country called Fredonia, okay, which doesn't actually exist. It's a fictional country. Is it based off Fredonia, New York, or no? Um, no. Okay. Um, but the city fathers wrote to Paramount and asked the studio to remove all references to Fredonia because it was hurting our town's image. Um, Groucho fired back a sarcastic retort asking them to change the name of their town because it's hurting our picture. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it wasn't based on that. It just, it's just a coincidence. Yeah. Well, it's in New York City. It's called Fredonia, F-R-E-D-O-N-I-A. Whereas in the movie Duck Soup, it's Fredonia, F-R-E-E-D-O-N-I-A. Right. So, I mean, not that you can see it when you say it. Right. But so basically, then, um, once that director left, they had no one really at Paramount to help them get filmed, so then they switched over to another place. Um, MGM? MGM, yeah. And they made a couple movies there that did really well. Um, they made a movie called A Night at Opera, and then A Day at the Races, in which the brothers uh, cause mayhem in a sanatorium <laughs> and at a racehorse. <laughs> Uh, or, sorry, horse, horse race. Horse race. <laughs> uh, in an interview in 1969 with Dick Cavett, Groucho said that those two movies uh, were the best that they'd ever produced. Um, despite <clears throat> those film success, they left MGM in 1937. Um, so from 1940s onwards, Chico and Harpo appeared separately and together in nightclubs and casinos. Uh, I'll get back to that in a minute. Because the other three had already gone off and done different things. One became a producer. Like I said, one was an engineer. Yeah. And one did something else. Um, so in 1970, the four Marx brothers had a brief reunion of sorts. I think the four that were still alive. Um, in the animated ABC television special, The Mad, Mad, Mad Comedians. Um, the special featured animated reworkings of famous comedians' acts. So they redid their own acts in this animation. Like voiced them. Mm -hmm. And then, really, there's... Not too much that was said about like the end of their life because most people care about what happened during their time when they're together and when they're on film or on stage. But all it really says is on January 16th, 1977, the Marx Brothers were inducted into the Motion Picture Hall of Fame with the deaths of Gummo in April of 77, Groucho in August of 77, and Zeppo in November of 79. Um, the brothers were all gone by then. Zeppo was the last sleeve, which I guess makes sense because he was the youngest. Um... But I like how it says, but their impact on the entertainment community continues well into the 21st century. And it literally gave almost two paragraphs of people, of comedians and like comedian directors who said that they were inspired by them. Oh, yeah. 
Um, so I always like to end when I can about fun facts about whatever I'm talking about or whoever I'm talking about. So I have a couple fun facts about the Marx Brothers that I thought were interesting. Um, the very first Marx Brothers movie that was ever released, um, or sorry, the very first Marx Brothers that was made was actually never released. It was actually financed by Groucho, Chico, Harpo, and Zeppo, and a few other investors. It was called Human Risk, and it was filmed in 1921. <clears throat> um, most Scholars agree that the silent picture, which would have served as the actual family cinematic debut, never saw a completion. Um, an early screening of the work reportedly held in the Bronx um, was not impressive to the audience at the time, so they halted production. Um, by the Marx Brothers standards, it would have been an unusual flick with Harpo playing a heroic detective opposite a villainous Groucho character, which is not what they usually did. Yeah. Um, and then... Chico once launched a big band group. So Chico took advantage of an extended break between the Marx Brothers movies to realize a lifelong dream. A few months before um, one of their movies hit in 1941, he co-founded the Chico Marx Orchestra, a swinging jazz band that lasted until 1943. Um, so for about two years, um, short-lived as the group was, however, it still managed to recruit some amazing talent, including senior composer Mel Torme who would go on to help write the Christmas song, Chestnuts Rose the Oven, Open Fire, the next year or That's two years That's pretty later. cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Groucho temporarily hosted The Tonight Show. Um, when Jack Parr left, it was called something else before The Tonight Show. I think it was something like late at night. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. When Jack Parr left in 62, months before um, Carson Johnny Carson took over, Mark's... Uh, Groucho Marx kind of like took in the role but when Carson finally made it to The Tonight Show in October um, Groucho Marx was the one who introduced him for his first time and Johnny Carson was on there for forever forever. yeah this is one of my favorite ones so Spy Magazine used the Marx Brother film uh, Duck Soup to prank US congressmen okay so as I kind of mentioned Duck Soup takes place in Fredonia a fictional country over which the eccentric Rufus T. Firefly presides, which was played by Groucho. Mm-hmm. In 1993, 60 years after the movie's release, the imaginary nation made headlines by embarrassing some real-life politicians. Staffers from Spy got in touch with around 20 freshmen in the House of Representatives, asking some variation on the question, do you approve of what we're doing to stop ethnic cleansing in Fredonia? A few lawmakers took the bait. Representative Corinne Brown from Florida professed to approve of America's presence in Fredonia, saying, I think all of those situations are very, very sad, and I just think we need to take action to assist the people. (laughs) Across the aisle, Steve Byer from Indiana concurred, yeah, it's a different situation than the Middle East. (laughs) Perfect. Yes. Love it. Um, So... The last thing I'll say is in the summer of 1958, Groucho Marx took his young daughter Melinda on a trip to Germany to visit Dornum, the town where his Jewish mother was born. They also took a trip to East Germany where Groucho requested they see the site of the bunker where Hitler committed suicide. (laughs) When they arrived at the ruins of Hitler's bunker, Groucho supposedly climbed up on the rubble, performed a frenetic Charleston for at least a minute or two in gesture of defiance. (laughs) I fucking love. That's hilarious. So that's a very, very tiny snippet about huh. uh, the Marx Brothers. Interesting. They each had their own like very individualized and like they're they were very similar when they were together, but when they were separate, like it was. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. 
That was good. Mm. But yeah. And their their comedy, like it literally is what SNL is now. That's the reason yeah. SNL even exists is because of their type of comedy. All, All the sketches. All those kind of sketches and stuff. Like um like I was a big fan of the Three Stooges. Mm-hmm. And you know that Three Stooges took from them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean hashtag armchair pocket but I'm pretty positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's really like comedy that can comedy that can make you laugh. Like physical comedy that can make you laugh without sound is pretty, mm-hmm. pretty it's, good. It's interesting how much that sparked then that uh, you know like workaholics too. It's very like Three Stooges esque, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Excuse me. No. I'm <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna get out of here. I'm sure Gunner has things to do today, and we've got things to do today. Um, but uh, you can check us out online. We have our website at absintheactivismarts.wordpress.com. Uh, we're on Facebook at absintheactivismarts.wordpress.com. Uh, or we're on Facebook as <laughs> absintheactivismarts. We're on Twitter at a- as absintheactart. Uh, I'm on Instagram with pictures of our uh, really cute dog who is currently yelling at us. <laughs> um, I'm b- on Instagram as AWM Rights. I'm also on the Fediverse as AWM Rights. Uh, check us out. Um, check out our music by uh, Joshua Paul Brooks, who's playing a show today uh, at The Bean. Um, go follow him on Facebook. Uh, our artist Katie White is open for commissions. If you want to get anything for the Christmas season for your loved ones, uh, she'll draw anything. Um, who else do we have? Christine Renee Farley. Go check uh, check her Facebook page. Um, she's got some uh, some shorts up. Um, is that everyone? And Katie. I already mentioned Katie. Okay. All right, uh, Gunner. You want to tell people where they can find you? Uh, yeah, you can, uh, I'm, I'm most active on, uh, on Instagram. Uh, you can, uh, look up my, uh, look at my project on Instagram. I, I keep all sorts of, you know, flyers, tour dates, uh, or, uh, potential tour dates, sorry, potential tour dates, uh, show dates, uh, things like that. Um, and you can, uh, get the, you can listen to the music on Bandcamp and Spotify. Awesome. And I think, yeah, it should be on the, should be available on iTunes, all those streaming platforms. But cool. yeah, uh, keep your ears peeled. We're gonna link to the Bandcamp and uh, all of that stuff on um, when we post this, so people okay. should be able to find you pretty easily. Cool. All right, uh, we're gonna get out of here. We love you, and we will see you next time.